This episode is brought to you in part by The Good Book Company, publisher of Does the Bible Affirm Same-Sex Relationships? by Rebecca McLaughlin, a book that examines 10 claims about the Bible's view of sexuality. Go to thegoodbook.com sexualethics to receive 25% off with code CT25. You're listening to Quick to Listen. Each week we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee. I'm an assistant editor here at Christianity Today, and today I am joined by Mark Kelly. Hey, Morgan. What's up, Mark? It's a beautiful, sunny day for us in Illinois. It is not so for people in Houston, so... It does not appear that way, no. no. Not at all. So how does that impact what we're going to be talking about on the show? Well, on the show today we have Tim Haas. He's the manager of U.S. Disaster Relief... Uh, with Samaritan's Purse, with whom he's worked for 15 years. So he's an absolutely perfect person to talk about what we need to talk about today. Welcome, Tim, and why don't you tell us a little bit about Samaritan's Purse for those who may not be aware of it. Yes, good morning. Thank you for allowing me to be with you today. Samaritan's Purse is an international relief agency. Uh, It's been around for uh, 40-some years uh, under the leadership and heading of Franklin Graham, uh, Billy Graham's son. While we are international, there's a large portion of what we do at Samaritan's Purse that responds in times like this to Hurricane Harvey. So uh, yes, international, but also geared for domestic relief as well. And I should say that uh, while the magazine sometimes has had disagreements with your, uh, uh, I'm sorry, what is his title, president or founder? Yes, sorry. president. Yeah. We nonetheless have tremendous and deep respect for Samaritan's Purse. We hear when we send reporters out on the field to report on some disaster here or there, uh, they always come back with glowing reports of what the amazing work that Samaritan's Purse is doing. So we really am we're so grateful you're able to join us today. Well, again, thank you for uh, allowing me some time to visit with you. Uh, I look forward to our discussions. All right. Well, let's get into it. By now, you've seen the video images and numbers conveying the magnitude of Harvey, the rainstorm that's flooded large parts of Houston over the past week. As the city waits for the water to recede, disaster relief organizations have begun deploying their staff and volunteers to America's fourth largest city. This week, we'd like to discuss what happens after a natural disaster strikes and the unique role that Christians play in meeting the needs of the affected. So before we get into that wanted to remind everyone that this podcast is made possible by everyone who subscribes to Christianity Today. And Mark and I thought we would just kind of talk about the work of our news team and how that appears in our magazine. What were you thinking, Mark? Yeah, I mean, our news team is on top of things day to day, almost hour by hour, depending on the story. uh, And that all appears online. But then they have the very difficult job of trying to pick out which of those stories that have emerged in the last month deserve space in a monthly magazine. In other words, which stories won't just seem like old news, which stories have a continually a continuing narrative that our readers ought to be interested in. And I'm frankly just amazed at how they continue to do that month after month. So like in the coming issue, the Hobby Lobby return smuggled Iraqi artifacts was a big news story. They talk about that a little bit. Uh, U.S. threatens to deport persecuted Christians. That was a news story, but they also talk about that in an ongoing way. Very short, very brief, so that if you've missed a story, just a tremendous way to catch up with what's happening uh, worldwide. Yeah, if you've missed a story or just this 
been other things that have diverted your attention. Yeah. And it's one of the things that we get. Some people wonder why we, as a monthly, still do news, but we get the report all the time from our readers. I'm so grateful that you do that because if I wasn't in the news business, there'd be a lot of stories I wouldn't be, I wouldn't hear or read about. And the fact that CT summarizes them so eloquently is just a great service, I think. It's a credit to our news team. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. They do a great job. And that's something that I feel like really comes across Again, when you get our print magazine, and that is available to everyone at orderct.com slash quick to listen, orderct.com slash quick to listen. Um, if you subscribe now, not sure if you'll get our September issue, you'll definitely get our October issue, and that will be 10 issues a year for you as well. All right, Mark. So I'm wondering if before we ask Tim our questions, if we can just give a gut check um, and listeners can hear you know, what type of visceral feelings you had when you saw these images coming out of Harvey? Uh, the first thing that I thought of, or one of the first things I thought of was, I, I hark, of course, harken back to Katrina. And I remember hearing about, and I, I don't know how true, I assumed it was true, how many people who had lived in New Orleans decided to move after Katrina. And many of them, many, many moved to Houston. And I'm thinking, those poor people, they go from one huge water disaster to another. That's what I thought of. I thought of that too. It reminded me of when I read stories about Iraqi refugees who fled to Syria when the Syrian civil war started. And I was like, oh my gosh. Again, those poor people. Yeah. I also, as some of you listeners know, went to Texas for more or less the first time earlier this year and we spent time in Houston. So, you know, my mom texted me about this over the weekend and I think she felt personally, far more personally connected to the story than if we hadn't actually been there. And people were talking about the medical district and that was some place that we drove around the last day that we were in Houston. And I was like, wow, it's, it's just different when you are when you have some small connection point to a place and they're exactly, talking about the yeah. different landmarks. And you've been to Houston a number of times, too. Just a couple of times, but only this year. Oh. I, mean, I haven't been to it for decades. And this year I've been, visited it twice. So, again, it had the same effect on me. Of, In fact, I wrote two people I have contacts with in Houston and just said, hey, we're praying for you. Don't have to answer this email. I know you're busy probably. Mm-hmm. But just let, you know, I want you to know we're praying for you. All right. Well, Tim... Yeah, I guess just briefly before we really pepper you with questions, you know, what's your own connection with Houston? Well, I was in uh, Houston uh, for two events, both flood events last year, and uh, we're we're personally connected with not just Houston, but the surrounding area. Um, We have folks on the ground in Victoria, Texas. And for Samaritan's Purse and our disaster relief wing, Victoria, Texas was the first response with disaster relief units that this part of the ministry had. So we're going back to our roots as far as, you know, where it began for this for this facet of the ministry. And I was uh, fortunate enough to be a part of that deployment in 1998. So we're, we're no strangers to the area. Wow. What is the first step that disaster relief organizations like yours take once weather forecasters have identified a storm? There's lots of organizations that respond in times like this, and it really runs the gamut as far as addressing what we call unmet needs. And so let me just concentrate on Samaritan's Purse and kind of our mode of operation leading up to when we actually send our staff and assets out the door. We're monitoring the weather across the nation daily. So part of our team here, we we make assignments and we give someone weather watching duty um, month by month so that we're not caught off guard. In in addition to hurricanes, we're watching and combing the weather for tornadoes, flood events that aren't related to or tied to a hurricane, fires, uh, ice storms. So so we're constantly looking so that we're not caught off guard. And we're much like a volunteer fire department. 
when the time comes, we respond. We figure things out on the way. We do the best we can in preparation, but we, we just don't have the, the luxury of saying no. When the, when the storms hit, we respond. And as far as you know, our preparation, we, we have a scope of things that we can do for homeowners. We offer services free of charge. And, and so we concentrate on being ready to do those type things. And we can get into the nuts and bolts of, of what we're able to do. But, but in preparation, we're just constantly being ready. And, and because we're based in North Carolina and because we cover all 48 states, the lower 48 states of the United States, we stay pretty active. We have five units and so we can be in five different areas, but I can assure you that with this event, all five of our units are going to be in the Gulf and in and around Houston. I guess I naively assume you were watching the Weather Channel or the news and did, 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 taking your cues from whatever the, the news said was an impending disaster, but you're sounds like you're doing research way ahead of the news. We are, but but rest assured, the, the Weather Channel is on and, and we're watching live reports. We're looking at resources that we, that we trust and have used, NOAA's website, uh, other other different there, there's a lot of people who do a lot of forecasting and and a lot of those forecasts come to us in different ways and so we we just have a, a clearinghouse of like if we're concentrating on fires we we know a great source that that kind of collects that information and, and spits that out periodically so we're trying to be ahead of the curve so that we're not caught off guard and of course with Harvey we were all watching as far as the personal connection in times like this when I see something big getting ready to happen it, it really affects me emotionally and I, I really get withdrawn and and I get sad uh, because I'm, I'm literally watching people getting ready to suffer and I'm getting ready to see a huge need. And I know with all the resources that Samaritan's Purse has, we can't touch the enormity of what's out there. Yes, we can find our sites. We can get stood up. We can go help people as quickly as possible. Yes, no question. But we really won't know. We won't know for some time to come how many people, how broad, how expansive this storm is. So while you were watching last week, can you take us through some of the steps that you guys were taking as you got more and more information about Harvey? Our staff here based out of North Wilkesboro, North Carolina, it's a tight-knit group. We're a family. We're all in. In other words, we did not have, last week we didn't have any uh, responses where we were out in the field. We had all come in, and it's kind of rare to be in that uh, circumstance. Uh, we were reading our daily emails. One of our coworkers uh, was feeding us with you know, those disturbances that were down in the Gulf coming across the coast of Africa. And we kept seeing them, and the early forecasts were saying, this is potential, this is potential. And as we were preparing our normal uh, list of things that we go through and try and hone up on our paperwork, our inventory lists, our packing, um, updaters on any of our technology, kind of big picture things that that we're just constantly churning on if we're not on deployment. We were getting ready to touch all those bases, but we we pulled together. And when we saw along Wednesday, Thursday of last week, uh, we all began to look at each other and say, this is going to be a big event. You know, we're all going to be involved. And so personally for me, I knew that the place was going to vacate pretty quickly. And I knew that all of our preparation work, we, we, we were now done with any preparation work. We, we were now in it's time to engage. Uh, no more training for now. Uh, we'll, we'll be engaged and we'll be doing what we do very quickly. So that's pretty much the way things happened. Uh, a couple of our units left here on Friday to, to get out to a safe area waiting to, to come in 
to the hardest hit areas that we could get to. And so two of our, our sites are up and running today. Uh, two more are en route. And then uh, the last of our assets, the, the last unit is still here in North Carolina waiting for waters to recede. So it, it's been a, a very busy last six days, seven days, uh, but it's what we do. And Yes, it's we, we do want to be prepared. We do want to be paying attention to forecasters. We do want to see and know in advance what, what things are happening. But how often, you know, yesterday was 12-year anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. Um, and, and everybody remembers Katrina. It was, a, it was a new standard of devastation. Well, here we are uh, 12 years later. And as you mentioned, you know, those people who, who moved from New Orleans and are, and are now in and around Houston, you know, what are they thinking? Uh, how do you minister to them? What do you say to them? So um, God opens doors and, and we walk through them, many times not knowing the full impact of what we're going to face, but other times understanding this, this is our opportunity. This is our time to rally the churches. This is our time to be a beacon and this is our time to minister. And so that's what we, that's what we strive to do. When you talk about, there is a, I forget the term you used, a unit that has already set up, another's on its way, another is still in North Carolina. What does, what does that mean? A unit or a, what are you calling that? Yes. A disaster relief unit. Just think tractor trailer, 53 foot trailer packed full of tools. So a lot of folks wonder, you know, what, what kind of goods and supplies does Samaritan's Purse distribute? We're not in the distribution part of disaster relief. We utilize volunteers to go and work with homeowners to clean up the damage. So these tractor trailer units, we call them disaster relief units. They're tractor trailers packed full of tools so that we, when we get on site, we're ready to go to work. We're not looking for resources. We're carrying them in with us. Wow. That sounds like a something I may want to do in my retirement. A truck, a trailer truck full of tools. I'm a tool guy and I love fixing things. So this sounds perfect. We'll talk after the show and I'll collect your information and okay. we can hook you up. <laughs> we can hook you up. Oh man. Tim, you were talking earlier about the kind of emotional and spiritual impact that these disasters have on you um, while you're doing this work. And I didn't know if there were any types of like spiritual practices or disciplines that Samaritan's Purse workers kind of take part in when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah. So Samaritan's Purse is, is a unique organization. We we have our worldwide headquarters are based in Boone, North Carolina. There's several hundred that are on staff on that campus in Boone, North Carolina. But there are several thousand employees worldwide in uh, country offices. But one thing that Franklin mandates is that we begin each day in devotion and prayer. So we come to work, we report to work, and the first thing we do is we, we hear from God's Word, we hear some thoughts about that part of God's Word, and then we're called to prayer. And as an organization, there are several things laid before us that we're praying for, for one another. But then that's also the time is, as we go to prayer, uh, we divide up in twos and threes. And so we get to know our coworkers and we get to pray for our coworkers daily uh, to know what's going on in their lives and to know, you know, what's what's big for them, what's coming up. And so as that aspect of what we do, it, it's really amazing how it helps frame your day. It helps get things started in the hecticness of a hurricane response. We're starting our day with devotions as a group. We're praying together as a group. It's vital. It's, uh, it, it's vital for me to, to remember to bring my mooring back to 
God's word. Uh, it's it's vital for me to be looking at my coworker and saying, how can I pray for you today? What's what's big in your life today? I, I can't imagine not doing that. I can't imagine going to work eight to five, run of the mill, whatever the job is uh, without that. Uh, so so that's one of the one of the things about working here that that's it's super helpful for us. It's great direction for us, and it really makes a difference. How common is discouragement, maybe even to the point of despair, uh, especially if you guys are tracking a number of potential or ongoing disasters at any given moment? And as you said, no organization can tackle all of them or any one of them thoroughly. So it must at times seem really discouraging. Personally, for me, uh, there's a process of you do what you do. You do the best you can. You know that, you know, God's got you in a in a position or in a, in a place in, in your life where he's going to use you if you're if you're willing to be used by him. And so for me, I, I get to a point to where you you go hard, you run hard, you, you do the best you can. You feel like you're you're running on fumes, your 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 energy is low. You, you might be getting discouraged. You're you're seeing the overwhelming statistics. There's a part in what you do and what we do. And as believers, you know, we, we see that God fills our tank. He, he keeps our cup full. And, and as the psalmist says, to overflowing. When we hear the reports of what the difference is being made for the individual, when we hear the story, when we read the reports of people coming to faith in Christ, for me, that's the filling of my tank. That gives me the the courage, the the energy, the drive to pull myself together and let's do this again tomorrow. Let's do this again the next day. It is exhausting. Working in disasters is exhausting because if you stop and if you listen to how overwhelming it is, it it can overwhelm you. But if you can continue to stay the course, see that as a part of a team, as a part of a group, that this is what you're geared to do, then you can, then you see God at work. You see people's lives changed. And that's what it's all about. It, it's not about me. It's not about Samaritan's Purse. And honestly, it's not even about that local church that we're working through. It's about God's glory. It's about people hearing the gospel. It's about lives transformed at that point where they hear the gospel and respond to it. And if, and if you're a part of that through your local church, then you know what I'm talking about. If you if you see yourself being used by God and you and you see and feel yourself personally being filled up to overflowing, even in the midst of overwhelming circumstances, then that's that's life. And and that's as we serve the Lord together, we go through that. We feel like many times our cup gets emptied and and we're we're on dry. We're we're running dry. Uh, and and in God's timing, He allows us to see. Hey, it's not about you. This is a bigger picture. And and we hear that story and we and we see the picture of that person and we hear their heart of gratitude and we and we hear their testimony of coming to faith and it makes it all worthwhile. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. You described Samaritan's Purse as a, you know, 
Disaster and Relief Organization. Uh, you send trucks not full of Bibles or tracts. You send trucks full of tools. And yet you emphasized in this last answer two or three times people coming to Christ. Talk about that. Yeah, so there's a reason that that tractor trailer full of tools rolls. And the reason that we do that and the reason we call volunteers to come and serve with us is so that we can share the gospel with the people that we serve. So in, in amongst all of the tools, there is a cabinet full of Bibles. And those Bibles are Billy Graham Training Center Bibles that uh, as a part of our standard operating procedure, when we serve someone at their house and when we complete a work order for them, everyone that served on that team is asked to sign the flyleafs of that Bible. And we present the gospel to the homeowner. We explain to them that everything that's being done for them is done at no charge. And uh, that's significant because salvation comes to us at no charge. It's a free gift. And so we, we explain that and we present that Bible, and then we hug that homeowner, and we take pictures, and then we go to the next job site. So, yes, the work of Samaritan's Purse is free of charge, but as a part of our practice, it comes with a message, and the message is these people are not forgotten. These people are loved dearly by God, and there are people around the country that love them as well, and those people happen to be the ones standing in front of them that have um, worked hard, and now they've shared their favorite verse, a reference to that favorite verse, and, uh, and signed the Bible saying, you know, we loved getting to know you, we loved serving you, and um, when you have some time, uh, flip over to my favorite verse in the Bible. It's Philippians 4, 6 and 7. It's John three sixteen. What do you guys end up saying to folks who might say that like that's an inappropriate time to share one's faith or, yeah, it might be somehow exploitative? So, of course, there are people of different religions. There, there are people of different faiths. We've not had one homeowner reject our help. When, when you show up with tools and a team ready to go to work and they're sitting in the situation that they find themselves in, they're very appreciative for what you're doing. It's simply a way that we say, thank you for letting us serve you. Uh, oh, by the way, this is why we're doing that. So many of our homeowners say and, and pull our leadership aside and they say, why, why would strangers come to my house in Texas from Florida, from Arizona, from North Carolina, from New York? Why would strangers come and help me? I don't understand this. And so that opens the door for us to, to give them the answer to why, you know, why is this that way? What is it? What is it about this group that's different? And so we, we take advantage of the opportunity to explain to him exactly it's Christ's love that compels us to do this. And the namesake of Samaritan's Purse comes from the parable in the Bible about the Samaritan who was beat down, who was on the side of the road left for dead. Two passed by, but one, the Samaritan stopped. You know, we, we invite them to understand the, the gravity of that parable and uh, and that we're doing likewise. We're, we're going to our neighbor. We're going to find those who've, who've suffered loss. And and we, like that Samaritan, are loving them, uh, not because we were told to, but because we, we feel compelled to. And uh, and that comes from the understanding of, of knowing who Christ is and what he did and, and what he desires for his church and for his followers to, to do and look like. There's a number of different Christian organizations that will show up after natural disasters. Beyond denomination or Christian tradition, what tends to separate them in terms of the services they offer and the type of philosophies of relief that they have. Yeah, you're exactly right. There are a large number of organizations that respond in disasters, and Samaritan's Purse is one of them. We see each other and we come together 
on a national level. We also see one another at a state level, and we know who those partners are and what they believe and how they function. The range of services, if you will, come from cash donations or gift card donations to food, to uh, services provided, to comfort dogs, to distribution of, of materials. So it's as vast as from A to Z. And again, doing disaster relief, you, you come to know who other organizations are, what their beliefs are, and basically what their what what the scope of their work is, what their capacity is. So there is a lot of organization that goes on behind the scenes amongst organizations like Samaritan's Purse, the Salvation Army, the Red Cross, uh, Habitat for Humanity, the, those type of organizations. We're, we're a part of a group. They're called VOAD organizations, voluntary organizations active in disaster. Uh, there's a collection of us at a national level, and there's also a group of us that we've, we've pulled together for those of us who are evangelical, and we've made our own coalition of, of groups because we're, we're ones who say, you know, we're going to share the gospel as we go out and, and love on people. So, yes, there, there are a large number of organizations, and it's a, it's a wide range of services provided. Is there someone coordinating? all your efforts so you're not stepping on each other's toes, or is that pretty much an ad hoc situation? Yeah, it varies from storm to storm. And, uh, you know, in a storm like Harvey, there's going to be all organizations are going to be at the table for, for months to come. And it's it's more about us being uh, collaborative and communicative in advance, uh, knowing uh, how to get on the statewide calls, how to get on the national calls, to give your reports, situational reports are a critical part of doing what we're doing so that all of us don't show up at the same church and fight for it. And all of us don't miss a huge pocket of need that no one wants to go to because we don't know anybody down there. So there is a collaborative effort, and it does take—it takes the organization itself bringing to the table— all that's necessary in order to be a good team player. And and we're familiar with this. It it's it happens in small storms. Uh, we were we were in Libertyville, Illinois, uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, following the terrible floods uh, in northeastern Illinois. Uh, and we knew the organizations that were in the area. We were collaborating in that event. We were doing the same thing in Wisconsin with their flooding, all all the same event. So yes, there are many organizations, and we know who one another is, and and we do the best we can to to refer people. You know, if if Samaritan's Purse is not doing cash distributions, which we don't, then we try and find out the information for those who do and let them know when those events are. I know from previous reporting that Samaritan's Purse has a unique relationship with the local church. Can you talk about that? As far as the number of churches that Samaritan's Purse has a relationship with, I, I can't count that high. There's a part of Samaritan's Purse called Operation Christmas Child, and that's how most people know about us. Every year, Samaritan's Purse, through Operation Christmas Child, collects millions Millions of shoeboxes to send around the world to over 130 different countries in order to share the gospel. And so churches are a huge part of, of that process. The church together sets a goal. They collect the shoeboxes. We join those together. We process those boxes and we begin to send them out. And that's probably 100,000 churches across the country or more. I, I, I can't keep up with, with the databases. They're, they're changing and adding churches all the time. But as far as what we're doing in, in the disaster relief side, domestic North American ministries side of Samaritan's Purse, we have a very strong relationship with churches that we have worked with in the past in disaster relief. And we are a family. 
Uh, we reach out to those churches all the time to check check in with them to see how they're doing, uh, especially in times prior to the hurricane hitting. We're calling to make sure that they're aware. We're calling to make sure that you know friends that work with us uh, know that the storm is coming and find out if they're if they're making plans to evacuate. I assume some of those volunteers come from the local church that you have a relationship with. So here I'm up in uh, Chicago land, and Houston is a uh, long day's drive, really long day's drive. And let's say I just feel like, man, I want to do something. I have a week's vacation. I'm just going down there. Do you encourage that sort of thing or do you, because on the one hand, you say the scope of the problem is way bigger than you can handle. On the other hand, I can see some problems with someone just showing up with a, with a truck and a toolbox. Exactly. So if you would like to, to work with Samaritan's Purse, we would love for that to happen. And we just ask that people register with us so we know who to expect and how many to expect and how to have the work arranged ahead of time so that we can take care of all the volunteers that are going to come. And that's and that's simply visiting the website, SamaritansPurse.org. And right now there's a huge banner across the top that says Responding to Hurricane Harvey. Uh, by clicking that banner, you can see how to volunteer with us. You can also see how to donate. But uh, if you're in Chicago and you're wanting to respond to, to Hurricane Harvey in the Houston area, then uh, we would love for you to engage with us. But it is a registration process so that we're not overrun with folks that we're not aware of and so that we're not uh, caught off guard on how to facilitate uh, a large um, g- pool of volunteers showing up to work, which is a great problem to have. But um, for, for someone coming from Chicago, we, we don't want to say, hey, can you come back next week? Uh, we've got some openings next week. We want to be uh, in advance of that. When it comes to logistics, do you make a commitment to feed and house these volunteers while they're there, or they are on their own to figure that out? Absolutely. We So if you're coming from Chicago and you're registering with us, we're going to take care of your housing and your food. We're also going to provide a hot shower for you because of the hard work. Um, so volunteers who register with us, the way it works is we find the, the local church that will house us and uh, they give us the keys to their facility so that we can begin to make assignments within the building where uh, the women's dorm is going to be, where the men's dorm is going to be. Sometimes that's the fellowship hall is the women's area. The gymnasium is the men's area. Um, if the churches have commercial kitchens uh, and they will meet our needs, then we use those kitchens to, to at least prepare a hot breakfast and a hot dinner. And we have the sandwich and, and all the lunch supplies set out so that every volunteer takes a bag lunch with them. Uh, we try to be efficient once we hit the field. Uh, if we were to break for lunch every day, we might lose two or three hours every day because we don't know how close the restaurants are. But we we send our volunteers out with the ability to pack their own lunch, and uh, that keeps us on the job site, allows us to eat together and stay active at, at what's at hand. So you need not just const- people who know how to do construction or clean up, but you need people who can cook and wash dishes, things like that. Well, we'll we ask that volunteers come with availability. And, and as far as having a skill set for being construction workers, it's, it's not needed. We have a, a, an amazing group of volunteers that are leaders for us. They've been partnering with us for years. And those are our cooks. Those are our team leaders. Those are our coordinators. And so as we go through the process, we're constantly building that bullpen. But but there's there's a strong uh, list of folks that help us do what we do as volunteers. Okay. So someone like me, my wife has the gift of hospitality and I have the gift of doing dishes. You could even use a person like me, I suppose. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Tim, I'm just wondering, what does success look like for you guys? 
I really, that is a great question, and I, I would have to say that Samaritan's Purse really wants to come in to make the, the local church shine. Uh, Samaritan's Purse doesn't want to come in and be the, the knighting, shining armor that rides in that solves everybody's problem. We want that church to be that knight in shining armor. We want to come in and make the local church be the resource that helps people in times of need. Technically, Samaritan's Purse could go stand up in a field. We've got generators, we've got kitchens, we've got shower units. All we would need is a supply of water, which we could arrange. We could stand up in a field and we could go help people all day long. The huge part of the equation that's missing is it's that local church that was there before the storm. It's going to be that local church that's there after the storm. And when Samaritan's Purse leaves town, the church needs to be the answer. It needs to be where people are pointed to. So success for us is when the local church shines. The local church is seen as a place to go for a variety of things. If there's needs, yes. If there's grief and sorrow and emotional needs, yes. If it's my children need a place to grow up, yes. So I think for Samaritan's Purse, at least the way I see it, the local church shines, Samaritan's Purse is successful. When do you guys decide to leave? When the work is done. So um, there's a scope of things that Samaritan's Purse can do. We cannot do everything for everybody, and, and that's pretty obvious, but uh, Samaritan's Purse has a scope of things that we're able to provide, and debris removal is in that, helping the homeowner with their personal belongings, uh, helping with tree work, chainsaw work, getting trees off of houses, um, any roofs that are damaged, maybe the roof's still intact, but it has a hole in it. Uh, we can tarp those roofs. So those are some of the main things that we're able to do after a hurricane to provide practical needs right now so that homeowners can get back into their homes and possibly live there. If the house has been flooded, and, but it's not destroyed, Samaritan's Purse can mud out that house. And that's a very intensive part of ripping all the the soggy and the wet contents out so that that house can dry. Now, Samaritan's Purse can't rebuild that house next week because the house has to dry. Again, there's a scope of things that we can do. But, um, you know, obviously we, we can't help someone who had a car that's flooded out to be able to replace that car. Volunteers are the, another key component of, of what it takes for Samaritan's Purse to be able to work in the field. And as those volunteers come in with availability, uh, again, they don't have to be carpenters or contractors. Um, as volunteers come in, we meet them with the tools that are needed and the requests from the homeowners for the work that they need done. We marry the two together and uh, and do everything we can to to help and love on those homeowners through that process. Awesome. Anyone who has any feedback for us, as always, we direct to our social media pages. You can reach us on Twitter at CT Podcasts or on Facebook at facebook.com slash CT Podcasts. Now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments, where we ask everyone to share something that is bringing them joy or hope this week, and also share where they can be found online. Mark, do you want to go first? Yes. I, I don't think I mentioned this last week, but it, it was my birthday week. You didn't mention it. And so I missed my birthday as such because I was at a conference doing the Lord's work. But then over the weekend, my family fetted me, and uh, we went canoeing. My wife and I and my daughter and son-in-law and my two grandchildren went canoeing on the Fox River. So it was a delightful afternoon. It's like a great birthday. Did you, get, did you let the little kids, like, actually paddle? 
No, they're a little small for paddling, but they were an obstruction most of the time, which made ha- paddling a little harder. But no, that's okay. That's part of the whole... That's part of how that's it works. That's part of the gig, yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, where can people find you online? Uh, mostly through going through the Galley Report. That's G-A-L-L-I Report, ChristianityToday.com slash the Galley Report. It's a weekly newsletter. Actually, this next week, it'll be I'll be doing a special edition, so it'll be two times this next week, in which I highlight links of articles I've read and make commentary on those. Tim, do you want to go? Absolutely. Um, you know, this is this is a, a very busy and a hectic time for us. And uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about the emotional side of seeing mass devastation. I, I keep a, a radar, a live radar up in my office so that I can see what's happening right now. And yesterday was tough because Houston just had this cloud that was just dumping so much rain on it. And I just kept saying, Lord, just push that by, just let this relief. But our teams that were able to get into the South in Victoria and also in, in the surrounding areas of Rockport were able to work yesterday. And the, the encouragement for me was in our first day of work, five people came to faith. So we saw we read that in the report last night, and uh, it, it starts to answer those questions. Why are we there? Why is this horrible thing happening? Well, the gospel is going forward, and people are responding. Wow, that's amazing. Where should people go to find out more about your work? SamaritansPurse.org. All right. My precious moment for the week is that I am going to the Upper Peninsula in Michigan for a wedding this weekend, and I've heard it's very beautiful there, but I also have never been to that part of Michigan. So I take everyone's word for it that it's going to be really beautiful. That it's going to be a precious moment. Yeah, I think that's okay. Okay. Also, I'm excited about it. That's great. Well, okay. Is it great? So you're having a precious moment right now thinking about it. All right. Wow. (laughs) Are you policing my precious moment? (laughs) I am. Okay. I can share something else then, and I'll share that one next week. (laughs) (laughs) Where can they reach you? I'm on Twitter at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. Okay, thanks for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. This podcast is a production of Christianity Today, if you hadn't figured that out already. And you can find our other podcasts by searching iTunes for Christianity Today. Remember to head to orderct.com slash quick to listen to subscribe to our magazine and get the most recent issue. This show is produced by Morgan Lee, my co-host, Richard Clark, and Cray Allred. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. And if you like the show, make sure to rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts. That helps us a lot. We really appreciate it when people do that. So see you next week. Mm